on today's episode of May the Record Reflect. We all know you, you, that attorneys spend hours and hours practicing their opening statements. How many of those um, actually incorporate technology into that practice is, is actually a pretty small number. And so we spend a lot of time as technologists trying to get the team to take the technological aspects of their case seriously. And when they do, they excel. We are trained to pull up an exhibit, specific page, paragraph, call it out within two or three seconds. And we do have sometimes uh, two monitors, sometimes three monitors. We can bounce back and forth from, you know, PowerPoint to a video to deposition, uh, impeachment. But yeah, we're, you know, we, we have all those tools and resources and we're able to do it efficiently and quickly. That was Shannon Bales and Alicia Aquino, and this is May the Record Reflect. Welcome to the monthly podcast of the National Institute for Trial Advocacy. I'm your host, Marcy Mangan, and today I'm pleased to introduce Shannon Bales and Alicia Aquino. We're going to be talking about why you should use a trial technologist or as Shannon calls them, a nerd, to run your electronic presentation the next time you're in court, and what kind of equipment and resources you need to kite out the tech closet for your law practice. But first, a bit more about our guests. Shannon Bales leads the e-discovery team at Munger, Tolls, and Olson in Los Angeles. He has worked on some of the largest most technically difficult cases in the country, like the BP oil spill and mortgage-backed securities litigation. He also built the technical environment for two war crimes tribunals for the United Nations in Rwanda and Cambodia. Shannon is very well known in the national trial tech community through his speaking engagements, presentations, and writing. And it is through the latter, his writing, that we at NIDA know Shannon best. He's the author of NIDA's Trial Presentation Companion, a step-by-step guide to presenting electronic evidence in the courtroom. It's a book so comprehensive that it might just make a nerd out of you. Shannon is joined by Alicia Aquino. Alicia is a trial technology consultant based in San Diego. After years of working as a paralegal and creating demonstrative exhibits and running the electronic presentations for her lawyers at trial, she struck out on her own three years ago and founded Aquino Trial Services to bring that expertise to your law firm. She's also a founding advisory board member of the Online Courtroom Project, which is an advisory task force dedicated to embracing innovation and technology in the justice system as a means of maintaining a party's constitutional right to trial during times of crisis, such as the global pandemic and shutdowns we've all been enduring since March of 2020. Alicia and Shannon will show you how investing in the services of a trial technologist, whether they're in-house and full-time with your firm like Shannon is, or they're an independent consultant like Alicia and you bring them in to help you through a trial, helps you do your work better because you're only doing your job and not theirs too. So let's hear what Shannon and Alicia have to say about that. So Shannon, three years ago, you and I worked together on your book, The Trial Presentation Companion, a step-by-step guide to 
presenting electronic evidence in the courtroom. I was the managing editor of your book project, and I learned so, so much about things I had no idea about. And so it seemed really natural to have you as a guest here on the podcast. So here you are, and welcome. Welcome to you and to Alicia. And my first question is, tell me, what in the world is going on in trial presentation right now? Wow, that is, that is a really great question because we are both in a peak and valley of, uh, of uh, technological changes in, in terms of trial presentation. We had a difficult time getting people through the courtroom doors before with their laptop. And now we're just asking people um, in their living rooms to uh, conduct trial presentation confidently. So instead of becoming easier, it's actually become more difficult to conduct trial presentation in many ways. You know, the standards of personal conduct for a lot of people really hasn't come up uh, equal to what would occur in the courtroom. So what I mean by that is, you know, people are laying down on sofas, uh, maybe they're wearing a uh, orange hokey Hawaiian shirt, or they're doing all sorts of, you know, we're, you know, their, their pets are walking through, you know, kids are, you know, total carnage or wh whatever's going on. Um, the, the virtual environments that we're seeing right now are, can be extremely difficult to navigate because not only are they navigating it for themselves, for the attorneys themselves, but also for their expert witnesses and witnesses in the case. Um, so it's become much more difficult um, rather than easier of, of just signing on from your living room or from an iPad or something like that. Right. There's so much more to um, consider and figure out on the fly. Well, we're not only figuring it out on the fly, but we're trying to create a plan. And, that, and that's the, that was one of the themes of the book, that you can't just walk into a courtroom and do courtroom trial presentation. You have, you have to have the right equipment, the right uh, software knowledge, and the right planning in order to do it right. The theme that, that, that should be in everything that we do dealing with courtroom technology is that technology influences credibility. And if you look bad, um, if you present poorly, if you would go into court with a big soup stain on your shirt or something like that, then you know you you would understand that courtroom technology matters and that you have to you have to present well in order to be credible in front of the, the, the decision makers, fact finders. Yeah, one of the impressions that I left with perhaps most strongly in editing your book was that the trial technologist or trial tech, as we will probably be referring to him and him or her throughout this podcast, is uh, the trial tech is a really integral part of the trial team from the word go, like just from the very beginning of, of the case. And it's not something that you kind of pull in a couple of weeks before you head to court. I'm sure Alicia uh, will agree with me when we say that a lot of us are pulled in five minutes before court. They may not know their tech's name as they're walking through the door. And that's a mistake. Um, the more that you can integrate that tech into your trial team so that you have a comprehensive plan for understanding your pre presentation environment, the better you will present in front of fact finders. And that doesn't matter whether you are doing a virtual deposition, a real deposition, a mediation, an arbitration, a trial, a trial that's hybrid where it's half in person and half virtual. I mean, 
we all know you, you, that attorneys spend hours and hours practicing their opening statements. Um, how many of those um, actually incorporate technology into that practice is, is actually a pretty small number. And so we spend a lot of time as technologists trying to get the team to take the technological aspects of their case seriously. And when they do, they excel. When they don't, they will underperform. So this seems like a, a good launching point then to talk about EDRM. Would you like to tell the listeners what that acronym stands for and what it means? Yeah, sure. The EDRM stands for the Electronic Data Reference Model. And it's euphemistically called the litigation lifecycle. It's a graphic representation of the litigation process from forensic collection, uh, processing of e-discovery, ESI, um, review of those materials, and then presentation. I'm, I'm kind of abbreviating it here, but um, you know, you've seen all the TV shows where um, you know the, the spy goes in and does the forensic collection, and there's lots of science behind that. You know, steals the data and then gets it into some. You know, you find the, the hidden clue to, to win the day. You know, stop the bomb or whatever it is. Um, same thing goes with document review. You, we have the giant, you know, uh, cloud-based review tools like Relativity and Reveal. Um, lots of science behind that and lots of respect for that area of the um, EDRM. The presentation phase, however, doesn't get a lot. You know, it's the Rodney Dangerfield of the, of the litigation lifecycle. People wing it. People come in without planning. They don't have the right equipment. They don't have the software knowledge. They try to get a, a first-year associate to do it or a paralegal who may have 10 other tasks to do in addition to what they're, they're um, doing in court. As a uh, trial tech, um, I can tell you that I am completely focused on the job of making sure exhibits show up on screen, that the attorney uh, uh, looks good when they're doing it, and that they are credible in court with, um, with a, uh, a system so that if one piece of technology fails, I can hit a switch and go over to another piece so that they don't have these embarrassing failures in the courtroom that people stumble and bumble through when they don't have the right equipment, when they haven't taken their, their um, education in this area seriously, or when they just put someone in at the last minute to, um, to do this job. And it really is doing a disservice to your client because you know, hey, I'm a techie nerd, and I steamroll paralegals and associates all day when they don't know what they're doing in the courtroom. Um, we do our best to, you know, get we want to cooperatively create these um, environments together, but at the same time, um, you know, we want to give a, an advantage to our um, to our team. And if you're not prepared, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll help you out as much as I can, but I'm not going to give away the store. And so many teams are just giving away the store. So, Alicia, what is your experience with uh, working with lawyers as a trial tech been? I have to say it's I love to be considered part of the trial team, not a vendor. And it kind of goes to what Shannon just said is bring us in early on. Let us take a look at your at the evidence, at the exhibits. I can't tell you how many times that 
that the attorney is presenting their case. And then at the end, the judge says, you know, this could have easily been done in a timeline. Do you think that you can just put together a timeline that would have saved us, you know, four days of of testimony? And I probably in the background was saying, hey, you know, let's let's put together a chart, a timeline. Let's put graphics. Let's tell the story a little bit better. And when you have somebody on your team that's able to incorporate the graphics and storytelling, it just makes you look that much organized. Talking to your trial tech about how can we make these workflows so that we aren't focused on the technology so that we can bang these things out like widgets and keep going at the end of the day um, and not be working at three o'clock in the morning doing these weird technical things. Um, How can we do that? And just having that conversation a couple weeks out, it may save you huge amounts of time and money. Well, that leads into my next question, which is why is trial presentation so important? I was thinking, well, isn't it just loading exhibits onto your laptop and onto the screen in the courtroom? And the answer is absolutely not. Trial presentation is a efficiency aid for the court. That's the number one thing we're there to do. Um, I mean, you know, we're hired, of course, to help our team. But the way we get through the door is that we're there to make things efficient for the court so that the proceedings will move along at a uh, quick pace and not waste the court's time. So anything that that kind of um, violates rule number one, you're too big of a pain in the butt or you want to bring too many uh, you know, weird pieces of equipment in or delay through through, through technolo- technological problems. You're really kind of violating the golden rule there of courtroom efficiency. So you have to be able to design a system when you walk in, because a lot of times we're supplementing courtrooms and um, build an environment in many cases. Some, some courtrooms do have it already built in, but build an environment that's going to run. It's going to run well under very heavy, extreme use. Um, for the duration of your trial um, without violating that golden rule of we're there to make things efficient for the courtroom. I always like to take a look at the attorney's outlines because typically, you know, talk about the bait stamp. Well, you have a bait stamp of what was produced in discovery. You have an exhibit that was attached to a deposition transcript. Uh, maybe there is a an exhibit that was attached to a motion. And next thing you know, you have a trial exhibit. So there's four or five different bait stamp numbers on the bottom. And what attorneys are doing is referring to the wrong number. Uh, you know, Miss Aquino, please pull up DSC 456 when it's actually trial exhibit seven. So if I'm able to get in there in advance, take a look at the outline and let the attorney know of, hey, you know, we don't want we want you to be prepared and organized in front of the, the judge. It's actually trial exhibit, you know, seven, four, whatever. Sometimes I'll actually put a little clip or a thumbnail of that exhibit. So if the attorney doesn't have it in front of them, that it's easy and I can make it just one one document that has all that information for the attorney. But something simple like that of just reviewing their outline in advance will definitely help them look prepared and organized prior to prior to showing up in court. It's funny that attorneys think, oh, I've done plenty of Zooms in this last year. I could be a Zoom Zoom trial attorney. Well, it's not that easy. There are a lot of logistics that are involved of how do you look? How do you sound? Do you need a mic? Um, in a conference room, if you have three attorneys and your client, are you sharing a mic? Or are you, each of you turn your mic on, are you going to get that feedback? 
Um, so yeah, there's a lot of logistics that needs to be discussed in advance. The whole point, I think, of trial presentation is to help your decision makers, your your fact finders, uh, job as easy as it can be without any distraction or um, losing the plot, so to speak, mid-presentation. It's funny, we talk about the cat lawyer meme that happened a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, paralegals assisting with the, with the uh, presentation of evidence. And in my trial last week, the paralegal was, in fact, I was a trial tech on one side and the paralegal was assisting the other side. And as a trial tech, it's always our rule of thumb to have that uh, piece of evidence or document or video clip up within two or three seconds. And well, the paralegal, her the photo on her desktop was Hello Kitty. So every time she shared her screen, we saw Hello Kitty. And I've, I think I counted at least 10, 15 times in the week-long trial of Hello Kitty. And so just simple, like something simple as that. And, you know, you would count how many seconds it would, she was using just Adobe, going to File Explorer, finding Exhibit 3, going to page 67. It was just so slow. And in this remote kind of virtual setting, that three or five seconds or when she was pulling it up is 30 seconds, 30 seconds seems a lifetime. And the judging, just getting more anxious of, you know, hurry up, where is this? No, I've, and it just starts to bring this weird virtual dynamic of like, everybody's on like, oh my goodness, just put it up on the screen. (laughs) So a a seasoned trial tech would know to have um, a separate monitor, a dual monitor, and be working on loading all of those exhibits um, in advance on on the second monitor that's not being shown in the courtroom or on the screen. Is that, have I apprehended that correctly? So that's why it just looks more, your presentation is more professional and it runs better when you work with a trial tech? Absolutely. Uh, We are trained to pull up an exhibit, specific page, paragraph, call it out within two or three seconds. And we do have sometimes uh, two monitors, sometimes three monitors. We can bounce back and forth from, you know, PowerPoint to a video to deposition, uh, impeachment. But yeah, we're you know, we, we have all those tools and resources and we're able to do it efficiently and quickly. We're, we're, also, we're also using specialized trial software and we're trying to help the legal team make good choices about um, jury attention span and uh, showing items strategically. Um, so uh, we want the team to make good choices. You, you mentioned before the Hello, the Hello Kitty. You know, if someone has pictures of their cute kids or their pets or whatever else. The first thing I'm going to do is walk over to, you know, our, our attorney. I'll have a talk about having that taken down and taken off, trying to make sure that the environment is professional and, they're, you know, and that um, the, the example Alicia just gave is a really good one about how um, people can get steamrolled in the, in the courtroom or whatever, whatever environment they're in um, because what they think of, as occurring in a meeting or when you're in your office is not courtroom speed. Courtroom speed is that one to two or three seconds to get something up on the screen versus it just dragging and taking a long time and everyone being frustrated and uh, clearly the person never practiced or did, did the things that they should be doing. And 
Shannon, you've said that trial and e-discovery go hand in hand. So for me, that prompts two questions. The first one is, can you describe what you mean by e-discovery so that we're all starting out at the same point of understanding of that term? When I'm talking about e-discovery, I'm talking about the previous phases of the EDRM. When How were the documents collected? How was that document? How were the documents processed? How was that document? How were the documents reviewed? How was that documented? Because a lot of times, attorneys, trial attorneys get an exhibit and they're like, geez, we don't have anything that has any context to this exhibit here. And if we don't have the project management, how, th- how that exhibit traveled from collection through processing, through document review, then we can't make an analysis to say, hey, you're missing something really important here, right? And when I've had good project management behind a, a case that we've, take, we've uh, taken on, you can take a look and say, hey, when they made a processing decision here, it excluded all of the attachments or they, they used a keyword that, wasn't, that didn't bring up the attachment. That was a really bad idea. Do you think we can get the judge to open up some sort of special discovery or something along those lines to bring that exhibit in? And we've had that happen. We've had people, you know, new exhibits be brought in, you know, during the trial because of bad, um, bad uh, decisions earlier in the in the earlier in the case. It seems like you just need somebody who's a little bit separate from the trial team but still involved so that they can back off and get that 30,000 foot view and see what's missing, what's not missing, what and what the connections are among all the different constituents. Totally agree. I mean, I know I know Alicia agrees with this too. I mean, you know, it is interesting because we come in on these interesting team dynamics and we want to be part of the team. Um, so uh, being able to maybe you know, have some influence on the workflow um, really can help teams out and be much more efficient and, and get that important sleep on, you know, mid, midweek of the court of the trial at uh, two o'clock in the morning. We want you to get to bed by 12, you know, uh, you know, so it's, it's little steps that we can take to help out your team um, or, you know, having someone in-house that can do that. I'm an in-house person um, that can do those types of things um, to keep your team moving forward and rolling. How is it then that trial and e-discovery are so closely entwined together? So trial rests on the foundation of all the work that occurred before you went to trial. And if you don't have good project management, you don't have a good idea of what your exhibit population is or where it came from or all these different bits and pieces, it's going to be disjointed and unorganized. And you're not going to make good decisions about what is being exported out for exchange or what is being identified as exhibits. So they go hand in hand also in that you might, um, you might continue to use these big cloud-based um, software programs, uh, document review programs to help manage your exhibit databases. A lot, a lot of teams completely separate out their exhibit database, which we think you know, it, it should be separate at, out at some point, but you still want the background that all the surrounding documents give to an exhibit. So an attachment to an email, for example. The attachment might be the exhibit. Well, what, what was the context of the email being sent? And so being able to use, to understand that context is really important. What are fact analysis tools? And 
how can they aid in your investigations and telling the story for your client? So when you're using a big cloud-based tool like um, Relativity or Reveal, and, and some of them are starting to get these fact analysis tools um, integrated into their, into their um, applications. But a fact analysis tool um, allows you to create context around the documents in your case. When you run a search in one of these big document repositories, you get a bucket, a bucket of information. And how do you analyze that bucket of information? How do you um, make context around you know, what was occurring when the contract was signed or the memo sent or the, you know, the comment sent or what, whatever it is that you're trying to provide context to? And fact analysis tools typically allow you to do that. They do it by um, uh, usually incorporating a chronology, um, some background information about the various players and important documents of your case, and issue coding. And they, and they usually do a really good job of creating reports that show the relationship between those three things. So um, we really like using fact analysis tools to um, help with creating better context uh, for those documents and who the players are. So I hope that gives everybody a good theoretical background about why you need to have someone managing your trial technology um, and, and the presentation for you in the courtroom, whether the courtroom is in the actual courtroom or in your living room. And just as your book, Shannon, is divided into two parts, the theoretical and the practical, now we're going to start talking about some of the, the hands-on practical how-tos for running an effective um, trial presentation. Alicia, it seems that remote hearings and trials are here to stay. I know everybody's really anxious to get back into the courtroom, and we have lots of uh, reason to be looking forward to that with the vaccine. I think 15% of the population as of today has been vaccinated against COVID, so it won't be too much longer before we're able to return to business as somewhat usual. So I wonder if you can tell me what are some of the best practices that you recommend for the virtual trial presentation? For virtual trial presentation, I assume that that could also include arbitrations and mediations. Most importantly, it's your setup. Do you have a heavy-duty laptop? Do you have dual monitors? Do you have a speaker? Where are your attorneys appearing from? And I think it's really important where your experts are also appearing from and doing that tech check and practicing with your expert of pulling up that exhibit. What does it look like? What do they sound like? You know, just because we are testing it on our own device, it could be in, you know, kind of as we're recording this podcast today, I may think that I sound great, but Shannon will tell me, oh, actually, you're not. Do you think that you can change the mic? And what I'm seeing in, in virtual trials is that the attorneys are not taking that extra caution and practicing with their technology, or they could be using a different platform. Uh, the virtual courts, um, I believe it was last June or July that the statistic was that Zoom is uh, the 51%, I believe, is a preferred platform. But what I'm seeing from my personal experience is that here in California, uh, San Diego, we're using MS Teams. Orange County is WebEx. And so having the attorneys practice with that specific platform is extremely important. Just because you're familiar with Zoom, 
it may not have all the same bells and whistles if you're using a different platform. And so when attorneys say, oh, let me just, I just have to click the link and, and I'm in the trial. Well, it's not really that there's more to it, more involved um, that, that actually goes into it. Jenny, do you want to touch base on that more? Yeah, I mean, what are we seeing? I mean, we, 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 t we told you about seeing the pets and the, you know, all the other things that are going on, but a lot of people really don't have control of their virtual environments, meaning they didn't consider that maybe their kids were all going to be on remote school, remote class, uh, at the same time their hearing was going, going on. So all of a sudden there's no connectivity whatsoever. So you need to think in advance of whether, you know, what your environment is gonna be like. Maybe you need to turn off your ring doorbell, for example, if you always have it broadcasting or make sure that um, Netflix isn't running on two TVs or something along those lines, the things that eat up your bandwidth when you get into the, when, when you're thinking about being in a virtual proceeding. The other thing um, is equipment, as Alicia uh, uh, touched on. You need to have a beefy computer so that you can get through the video and, and, the, uh, and the processing speeds that you need to do to conduct a virtual proceeding. The, the best recommendation I have for equipment is that your laptop camera is not sufficient. Using an iPad is not sufficient. Using your iPhone or, or other tablet or phone is not sufficient for appearing at a virtual proceeding. Um, you should also consider a external microphone. Um, an external microphone, much more higher quality, better voice quality. Um, I'm sure you said if you're an attorney, you sit around and practice in the mirror, your voice and, and, and everything else. You don't want to sound like you're in a tin can. You also don't want to be shouting at your computer if it's if it's a couple steps away from you. Um, so having an external microphone that you can bring right up in front of you, um, a high quality uh, camera, that uh, external camera, that maybe it has an app that allows better lighting to occur. Um, if you're doing a virtual proceeding, you want to um, have some soft light in uh, on both sides of you and in front of you, um, preferably natural light. Um, you know, I can't tell me, tell you how many attorneys look like they're in witness protection out there, um, you know, because they, they're just a dark shadow on the, um, on the screen. So how soon before a hearing or an, another proceeding, do you recommend people get together and do their trial tech run through? I think as you are developing your themes and stories, you should be thinking about how you are incorporating technology into that. Um, so at different stages, you know, you might, let, let's say you had an Excel spreadsheet or something like that, and it was produced as an exhibit. And you look at that Excel spreadsheet and you're going, wow, this is black and white. Um, it was produced in, in grayscale or something along those lines. Maybe you need to go back and, and get a color version of that because it wasn't, you know, we typically exchange, we don't exchange, exhibit, you know, uh, produced records in black and white. Um, so maybe you want to go back and ask for a color version of it or the native or something along those lines. You want to make sure you're putting your best foot forward by making, making sure that you're putting the best quality exhibits up on the screen. Um, you need to be careful that you're not modifying exhibits you know, when you're putting them up on screen. A lot of people do things like straighten and change the coloring and all this other stuff to an exhibit. Maybe you shouldn't be doing that. So you want to work with your trial consultant to make sure you're making good decisions about the exhibits. I, I, I've seen people say in court, 
you know, here's the original. Why does yours look different than that? Right? So you want to make sure that you're not, you're not overdoing it with exhibit, exhibit, uh, imp, a lot of people call it exhibit improvement. But, you know, if you darken the signature and then later call it an angry signature to the jury, you know, you might get called on the carpet by that if you have a good trial tech that says, hey, look, that guy darkened this 10 more shades to make it look like you scribbled this in anger. And I'll just add on one other thing. Alicia, I mentioned at the beginning, um, all those different number, production numbers, exhibit numbers, page numbers. Um, I think it's a really good idea. One of the, I think one of the better tips I have in my box, it sounds really simple, is um, to give an exhibit tutorial to the jury, right? Here's the exhibit number. There's lots of numbers on here, but this is the exhibit number. It's the one that starts with TX for trial exhibit. So when I refer to exhibits, I'm going to be using the exhibit number. And then you always refer to it. You can still use other names for it, uh, but always in combination with that exhibit number. Because at the end of the trial, you may come back and have a list that says, here, take out a pen and paper and write down these exhibit numbers. And guess what? A lot of times the jury writes down all the numbers you tell them to write down. <laughs> so, so should opposing counsel um, agree to what you're suggesting, the exhibit tutorial for the jury? I think the first one out of the gate that, that does that gets a credibility checkbox from the jury right away. They get the advantage. And a lot of people just make assumptions about that. I've been in billion-dollar cases where, where clearly the attorney and the paralegal or trial tech have never met, and they are literally, one is calling the page number from the document. The other one is saying, I need the exhibit number. Give me the exhibit number. And you see people frantically going through lists and Excel spreadsheets where they might have a correlation between the two. But guess what? A lot of them don't have that correlation chart. And the moment is lost. And the credibility is gone. And the jury is saying, wow, you just wasted my time. Well, that all sounds really complicated. You've got me sold. I think um, anyone who goes to court needs to have a, a separate trial tech instead of making uh, an associate a young associate or a paralegal do all of this stuff. So I want to ask Alicia the next question. How does one start doing trial presentations anyway? Well, I think I'm a little different than most trial techs. I actually started my career as a paralegal, 15, 16, maybe a little bit more. Uh, actually, as a file clerk, legal assistant, paralegal. And then I was actually helping my, um, the attorney with graphics and the theme and the strategy and then sitting hot seat. And so I was finding myself spending more time next to the attorney than the associates who are actually working up the case. And I found that I just, I loved it. I loved with the storytelling and the graphics and presenting the evidence. And I didn't know that that was an actual career that I could do. <laughs> and so uh, about three years ago, I branched out, started my own company, and this is what I do now. And I love it because if you hire me in, early and enough, you're able to get all the paralegal litigation support, project management, everything that I've encountered in my career of how do we, you know, Shannon talked about the workflow. That's exactly what you get when you hire me. It's not just simple trial presentation. It's all the added bonus because I know what it takes to prepare and organize and to present the case. So that's that's how I started 
my career as a trial tech. And it's uh, now, you know, with COVID having to pivot of virtual, of, uh, you know, being a technical bailiff and teaching attorneys, you know, educating the courts. How do you handle, you know, kind of being the robot, robot behind the scenes, um, troubleshooting and handling the glitches of turning people's video off, muting, uh, what do you do with the jurors? How do you handle the breakout rooms? And so in some cases, that's not considered a trial tech, but it's added value that I'm bringing to the clients as uh, in terms of trial presentations. You know, it is an interesting combination of skills that can be very hard to find. We see a lot for the, for the in-house people, and I'm an in-house person, when they, uh, they might go to a training, right, and learn. And I, you know, I wrote this book, you know, <laughs> the trial presentation companion, you know, about this. But they may, um, one of the essential pieces that a lot of people don't want to learn or they just, you know, it, it just never comes to them. It's one thing to know the software and how to put an exhibit on screen, right? We drag the exhibits into the program. You, you know, key in the exhibit number, it comes up on screen. But do you know how to configure your screen so that you have a second screen um, uh, working for you? Do you know how to take the cable and take it from your laptop uh, run it across the courtroom into a splitter of some kind so that it goes on in, into a bunch of projectors and monitors and that kind of thing? And the answer is no a lot of the time. I don't know what the expectation is of opposing counsel when their associate shows up or their you know, paralegal who went through the pro program maybe, and they don't know how to plug in their computer, right? They weren't sent to the site in advance to do all these things, even to test out, or they didn't take it seriously. You know, I've I've flown across country to plug my computer in in you know upstate New York to test out to make sure it would work when I walked through the door, and it did. And guess what? The other guy showed up, and he looked very confident when he walked through the door. He was a younger associate, and all of a sudden it was just terror. And you know, their partner was sitting there talking in court and and just motioned over to him, "Okay, put up my exhibit." He didn't even have his computer plugged in yet. You know, that's one of the things that's so great about your book is that um, you tell people, you just assume that they may not know the difference between an HDMI port and a VGA. And, you know, I, I struggle with that too. And you show photographs of this is what this looks like, and this is where it goes, and this is how you tape up the floor. And um, it's very hands-on. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it came with blood, sweat, and tears, man. I mean, there's there's so many people that will take, like, you know, we use this special tape. You know, it's the gaffer's tape that you that the rock and roll guys use at their concerts to tape down their, their microphones and all that kind of thing. Well, there's nothing, I don't know, if you're evilly, you know, kind of, you know, devious like I might be, and you see someone take packing tape and run it across a, a nice um, courtroom varnished table to tape down their cable and see the reaction of the judge and the clerk screaming as they peel all the varnish off. You know, I mean, that's the thing that's, that, uh, you know, you want to see when you're on the other side. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen all kinds of things like that in your many years of experience. I recall that you um, have sat in on a number of um, UN tribunals. And that's always been interesting to me, Shannon. Could you talk just a little tiny bit about that? 
Um, I was brought in to the UN uh, War Crimes Tribunal in Rwanda and the UN War Crimes Tribunal in Cambodia to get their litigation support programs off the ground. Um, you know, um, uh, I dealt a lot with fact analysis tools like Case Map and Opus 2 when I was out there um, so that they could investigate the various war crimes and uh, make sure that they had the appropriate technology to um, do their investigations. For example, um, uh, deposition software to um, host all the different uh, uh, depositions they had taken with victim stories and perpetrator stories and, and the accused and, and that kind of thing. Um, if you can imagine, you know, I, uh, you know, some of the sites had just big repositories of Word documents that the uh, uh, depots had been transcribed into. So they had no ability to search across their transcripts or those kinds of things. And so that's what I consulted on when I was out there. Um, it was, I, I loved the experience um, so much that I went back to um, uh, Cambodia several times to help with their tribunal. Yeah, that must have been really fascinating work. You mentioned trial presentation software. I know that there are several different um, packages, and I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what they are and how you decide which one is best for you. Sure. Um, you know, in the book, you know, we tell you how to go through the three leading trial presentation software packages. That's trial Director 360 by iPro, Pro, OnQ, which is by the company OnQ, um, and then um, Sanction, which is by Lexis. The one that I typically use is uh, Trial Director uh, because I believe it's graphically better. It looks better to juries because it has more color options. But some cases are a little bit more reporting oriented where you need to report on the different transcript designations from uh, both, both parties, uh, designations and counter designations. And the OnQ's um, product does a really great job of reporting. I believe that's that it, it does a fantastic job of reporting. And the Lexus product um, is, is, is still a relevant product, but I think better for smaller volumes of information. Um, this, the software is actually getting a little bit more complex, not less complex, because the data volumes being used in court are, are growing. I mean, if you're a solo practitioner or something like that, you know, look for a smaller tool. If you're but if you're if you're dealing in any kind of volume, any kind of video, take a look at both OnQ and Trial Director, um, and they both have, have free seminars and that kind of thing, and make a choice as to what works best for you. Alicia, are you using all three of those software packages in your business, or do you stick with just one? I use Trial Director for PDFs and images, and I use OnQ for all my videos and designations. So it's basically just using whatever the situation demands, it sounds like. I want to talk about companion software choices. There are video components, there are image components, there's audio components to displaying exhibits. And so what are some of the software packages that you need to use for all three of those? And do they integrate well with your trial presentation software choice? I personally like to use um, final exhibits. It does um, very large type um, exhibit stickering. Um, you know, if you have a chance and you have your trial tech, you can you can try and talk the courts into letting you apply 
um, electronic stickers rather than a physical sticker that you staple on there, which takes a lot of time and is very expensive to do. Um, so if you can apply a, 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 an electronic exhibit sticker, I like to use final exhibits for that. Um, there's a product called Easy Baits that I think very quickly will apply Bates number, exhibit numbers to um, exhibits. I mean, you're talking hundreds of, of exhibits in a couple of minutes um, versus trying to do that in uh, you know, a big uh, cloud-based tool, which may be difficult and a little bit slower to do. Um, I like uh, Total Commander for renaming files. And, and uh, you know, Alicia and I both use two laptops when we go to court because we want to have a backup in case one one fails and they fail all the time. Um, it's a very good tip. Um, as a matter of fact, um, a lot of the courts recommend that as well. You need to synchronize all that data between two different machines. So we spend a lot of time doing backup procedures so that you, you, you may not have known that you had a giant failure in the courtroom because you had that backup laptop and a good, and a good uh, trial tech that just hit a button and switched over to the other one. So I like that to synchronize uh, files. I also like it to rename, bulk rename files, your list of production number documents maybe, and you need to rename them all to some trial exhibit number. Um, this is the tool to do that. Um, so those are my, my, my three favorite, um, just what I use the most. Yeah, I was going to say the one that you didn't hit on is Adobe, which I feel that every law firm should have Adobe. And I get these messages from paralegals of how do I convince my attorney to invest in Adobe or a similar program that allows you to edit and bait stamp PDFs? I just feel we are in 2021 and every law firm should have Adobe or some sort of PDF editing software. Um, so Adobe, $79.99, all yours. <laughs> Well, there's so much of a focus right now on these big cloud-based repositories. And what, what I'm seeing as a person that educates people out there in the, you know, at UCLA and other universities is that a lot of the other skills that are very useful, like deposition management, are getting ported over instead of to specific tools like um, Case Notebook, you know, old LiveNote, um, is being put in Adobe or using some sort of reader or a text file to, to review the um, deposition, which might be okay for one or two depositions, but the minute you have more than a handful and you're wanting to search throughout the, uh, your, your deposition corpus, um, maybe in the courtroom, um, that those skills are going, are going away because people are focusing so much on these big tools and that you do need to focus again, once again, on the basics of deposition management and deposition management software. Um, the Lexus product is TextMap. The, I think it's the Thompson product is a case notebook. Um, and, you know, manage those transcripts in a way that you can find the information you're looking for. Shannon, that's a really good point, because I remember I was in trial one time and, you know, you dump all of your transcripts, say you have 20 different witnesses and the attorney on the fly, the witnesses, well, I, I said that I turned, it, the, the light was green. Well, I can easily do a quick search, type in green, and it pulls up in, in trial director or in on queue because we've down we've uploaded that the ASCII that it will identify the witness and the page in line where the term green light was witnessed within seconds. 
So I'm able to highlight, print that page, give it to the attorney. Whereas if it was still in, say, case notebook or, you know, some other platform that the law firm maybe has a VPN, they have to dial into their system there. It's not easy accessible. Well, I have all that information right here. And so that's another advantage of using trial presentation software of having everything housed. I have it. You need it. I'll give it to you within seconds. That's actually another great tip because uh, another giant mistake firms make, it doesn't matter if you're a big firm or a small firm, is that they keep things in the cloud. Uh, they, move, they go off to you know, St. Paul, Minnesota or Bakersfield, California or wherever they're doing their trial from and they keep all their data in the cloud, right? And what they're not doing is bringing a lot of the, giving themselves capability locally, which who knows, you may lose your internet one night and not be able to prepare at all because all your data is back at the home office VPN or Citrix uh, location, or it's in a cloud-based tool. So we, we actually spend a lot of time making sure we have that data locally in a secure way, um, uh, which a redundancy locally at the trial site because there's nothing worse than trying to print 500 pages if it's coming out one page every two minutes, right? Uh, because it's in some cloud-based location. So um, we bring a lot of printing capability to the uh, local war room. Um, our standard is we give everyone a local printer, and then there's two, maybe one to three very large production capacity uh, printers when we go on site to do the big binder jobs and that kind of thing. Um, because you want that local capability in case things go down and you also want it so you can move at speed. Alicia, can we talk about outfitting the perfect war room for a trial? Uh, so this is kind of what I love doing um, even before COVID, kind of setting up the courtroom, having the monitors. Uh, you know, if the judge wants a monitor, if there's real time, and so even, you know, now in COVID where I'm helping attorneys convert their their conference room into a, a virtual courtroom. So having the proper proper monitors, TVs, using the podium, having tripods. If the court reporters previously the court reporter would provide each counsel if they if the attorneys and the judge wanted real time, they would give you an iPad. Well now because of COVID, you have to supply your own iPad. So uh, for the war room, I guess the virtual virtual courtroom slash war room. It's kind of it, it's a two in one now because we're in a virtual world. But definitely a printer, iPad. Um, we touched about the two laptops, and I think this is key. If you are not using a trial presentation software, but you intend on using TrialPad or Adobe to present your own documents, have two laptops. One is for, say, the host laptop. This is for where everybody's in the box. This is what you see. Because I'm sure some of you can relate of when you share your screen, your little icon turns into a thumbnail and everybody goes away. And if you're not using a second monitor, and this is how we get the Hello Kitty or, you know, the, the selfie and the kids or the dogs or whatever, is because they're not familiar with, are they sharing the application? Are they sharing their desktop. So if you have two devices, one is just for the host and the meeting so you can see the actual images. But then the other device is you know that when you're sharing your screen, 
you know that you're going to share a specific document and it just maximizes the real estate. So that's, you know, for if you intend on doing this yourself, it's best to present using two devices. Yeah, I was going to add to that. You know, um, a lot of teams focus merely on themselves, the attorneys. And I can't emphasize enough how important it is to make sure that your witnesses also have that analysis applied to them. What is their presentation environment like? Um, What is their bandwidth like? They need an external camera and an external microphone and all the things. And the the big equipment rental companies like Equip and SmartSource now have created these kits that they will drop ship out to to a person and um, allows them to uh, appear well. Do an analysis of those guys before you let them show up on screen. My own war room tips, uh, I, I spoke about uh, you know as much printing capacity as possible. Um, we always do a bandwidth check to see that you're going to have enough speed for your team. Um, you know, do you have even when we're using our own office, we kind of set up a different area for our trials in one of the big conference rooms. But if you're going away for trial, you know, you need to also make sure you have extra, extra equipment, you know, should something break. You don't want to, you know, drop your laptop on the courthouse steps on the day of opening. And then, and then what are you going to do? Because the court's not going to wait for you, right? So, uh, you know, we back up like crazy, right? I have two mirrored laptops, a backup um, hard drive that I've created, all sorts of other things. And, I, and this is kind of standard practice for us. Um, but I can't tell you how many times, you know, know, something happens. You know, it's rough. Trial environment is rough. And security. We we also have to be very careful about security, you know, throwing the thumb drives around and and all of those different things. And also turning off security because a lot of teams get out to their remote locations and they're so locked down that they can't plug in an external printer to um, to their laptop when they get to the offsite trial, the war room. And um, so planning out those, those steps with your IT department doesn't take a couple hours. It takes days and weeks to make sure all of that stuff is planned out in advance. Get yourself a big conference room, plug everything in before you go. Um, I try to duplicate the courtroom environment as much as possible with um, the same size monitors and that kind of thing. For How far in advance would you recommend? Yes. Um, one of the best practices that a team can do is to go to the actual courtroom. And for the most part, the courts are very receptive to this. Um, hey, I want to test out my equipment in advance it gives, and, and, and create a schematic of the courtroom, schematic also included in the book, The Trial Presentation Companion. And, you know, some of the newer federal courthouses have amazing equipment, but you never know what you want to supplement with. You may want a document camera. You you definitely, if, if everything's in person, you want to vary your presentation with boards and, and video, you know, just keep it interesting for your fact finders. Um, uh, but you may want to use, you know, there's some new electronic whiteboards that might be interesting. You want to make your proposal to the court because you're going to be creating a giant imposition on them to be bringing in equipment and you need to talk to security. You may need an order from the court to bring in everything. Um, so all of these discussions, um, you know, take time and you should go in um, in advance and do that. People should be going out to the courtroom site uh, maybe up to a month in advance if they can get out there because maybe they want to rent or purchase equipment to supplement what's in the courtroom. 
sometimes we don't have that opportunity. So say San Francisco, they have a master calendar. You show up Friday and if you're if there's a courtroom available, then you could just be hanging out for a couple of days until there's a courtroom available. You could be in 36, 15, you don't know where you're going to go. And so it's difficult for you know, we're just on pins and needles of, okay, well, it could be this department. We we know that the layout is this and we know that this department is this. And so it makes it difficult and we just have to be prepared for whatever is, for whatever is handed to us. So typically it is amazing if we can get in there at least a month in advance, but um, you know, the train trial techs, that's what you hire us for is because we are, we're able to think fast and get in there in and out on a last minute's notice. And your book really does describe exactly what you need to do. It gives you the schematics that you need to use. It gives flow charts. There are um, forms that are available for download as a free bonus with the book. Um, Not that I'm, you know, getting into a hard pitch here on the book, but it really does tell you if you are a small firm or a sole practitioner, how do you manage this stuff? Because everything that you've said, you've both said so far, does sound really daunting. And the law has always been, as an industry, kind of lagging behind in technological adoption. Uh, There are a lot of technophobes. And I think that your book really helps break down those kind of barriers for people who need an entry point. A quick word for the small solo practitioner, though, too. Um, if that is if that's the case, and you're not using a trial tech, you're doing it all on your own. Um, get in there with the actual laptop that you're going to use, if you can, and test and make sure you know how to configure your laptop and get it connected to the courtroom system or whatever system that you're going to bring in. Like if you're going to bring an external projector. Um, get in there in advance and test it out with the actual equipment you will use. Um, doing that will save you half an hour to an hour on the morning of, of trial when it's crazy and you want to be thinking about something else. Well, it's really encouraging to know that as you as you suggest with that story, it doesn't matter that you're from a small firm, you're a sole practitioner, there is hope. You just need to um, have a plan and teach yourself how to use all of the the technology that's available to you. Thank you. Uh, you know, I'll tell you the most formidable, formidable person that I have been up against as a tech, you know, talking tech, right, in the courtroom was a small firm where they, uh, where the paralegal had been well trained in the use of the application, had the right equipment, um, knew how to use it, and uh, there were no questions. Clearly, if they needed something, they got it. Um, and they presented extremely well. They, they did amazing in the courtroom. Um, it's not enough to just buy a fancy laptop and in- install the license. You, you you need to know how to plug in the laptop and how to configure the resolution and all, all these different bits and pieces um, so that your presentation looks well on screen. A lot of teams spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands on courtroom graphics only to not be able to be able to see them from across the courtroom because they never considered courtroom environment was like, right? They never, oh, um, you know, is it 10 feet away from the monitor? Are you 20 feet or 30 feet or longer? So how big does the font need to be, right? 
So Shannon, do you think that teams should then rent or should they invest and own in all of this equipment for the trial? Well, I think it's really important to have some basic equipment like your trial laptop, maybe a switch, um, something along those lines, maybe the laptop, the uh, screen that you prefer to uh, use with your laptop. But after that, I highly recommend for people, especially when they're going to court or, or you know, other, you know, uh, proceedings, is to use a neutral third-party equipment rental vendor. Um, Equipped is one of them, AQUIPT, and SmartSource is another. They're legal, they're specific to the legal market, um, and they always have the best equipment available, but it also doesn't get you in the business of supporting the other side. Um, and, you know, I've, I've come to it, I've come to trials and, and tried to do the right thing and provide a piece of equipment to the other side. And then all of a sudden that, that piece of equipment fails or, you know, something happens to it. And that's when the accusations start to fly. And it all comes back on you, right? Well, what's on my table is usually my responsibility. What's on your table is your responsibility. But we have shared equipment needs in presenting, uh, you know, uh, do we use a projector or a big 65-inch TV or what do we put it on? And those types of things should be handled by the third-party equipment rental vendor and you supplement as you need for your own team. Um, but um, when teams don't use that neutral third-party equipment rental vendor, there's just so many politics and accusations and all this other stuff when things don't go, when things go wrong. So it sounds like each team needs to be responsible for its own technology, start to finish, full stop. If I saw something wrong with the other side's setup, I would point it out to them, and I have pointed it out to them. But if you don't want to take the advice, if you don't want to use that that shared equipment rental vendor. And um, I've asked you to show up and do the, the pre-court walkthrough, for example, and you don't show up. And this happens a lot, right? Let's, let's create a plan together, right? Let's make this work for everybody. Let's make it work for the court. And about more than 50% of these people do not show up for, the, for a walkthrough with the court clerk or something along those lines. And um, if you don't do any of that, I, I don't think it's my responsibility at that point you know, to fix your setup especially if you're right in the middle of trial or something along those lines. So I'm going to get the benefit. If you turn around and you, 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 you have some sort of failure, I'll help you, but I'm going to get the benefit of, and my team is going to get the benefit of that failure on some level. Have either of you ever had the experience of seeing the um, opposing counsel's trial tech or maybe it's not a trial tech, probably it's not, but uh, paralegal or whoever is running their presentation falter, have problems, and then you reached out and you helped them solve their problem so that then you look like an incredibly magnanimous person in front of everybody. And if I see you coming, if I see, you know, that, you, know you, see, I, you see a lot of confident people come through the courtroom doors and then that look of panic and you know what's going on. They didn't plan in advance. They don't know how to connect their stuff. I will go and stand next to my attorney and they'll be like, what are you standing next to me for? You know, because I'm waiting for them to walk over and ask in front of our attorney, you know, can you help? I'm not, I'm not empowered to go and make decisions for the other side. They're going to ask my attorney because I work for them and I'm going to do my best for the court and everything else. But um, it's going to cost you if you haven't taken your technological obligations seriously. That's exactly my experience is that, yes, I'll see the other side fumbling 
it could even be their trial tech, not necessarily, you know, associate or paralegal, just they're fumbling, bad connection, bad HDMI, didn't have an extra, maybe they needed a 15 foot cord instead of a 12 foot or something. And they didn't pack the proper equipment. Yes, I'm there to help. I have my car filled with anything and everything at all times. But it's the attorney when I I ask my attorney, hey, is it okay if I can help them? They're fumbling. My attorney is saying, absolutely not. We hired you for a reason because we want our presentation to be top-notch, stellar, seamless. It's their fault. Let them fumble. End of story. Any last words before we hit the signature sign-off question? Well, there's classes out there. there there's classes. And, and the software providers all provide training. Um, you know, it may not be the best use of, a, of an attorney's time. Um, we're out here, you know, what we're doing a lot of times is not rocket science, but it is something that takes a lot of time and concentration and effort to, to do well. I was just going to say one last thing, Marcy. Shannon was just talking about what the jury can see. I've been doing a lot of focus groups recently and getting feedback from mock jurors. And they absolutely love this virtual trial uh, environment. And it's because they can see the evidence literally within 12 inches. You know, you talk, you put up a graph, you put up an email, you're calling it out and they're not squinting, um, you know, and sometimes I wonder if the evidence, because if it is clear across the room that the jurors can't see it, are they really missing out on a factual piece of evidence? And now just the feedback that we're getting, it's tremendous of they see the image, the document, the email and everything. And the great thing is that the attorneys are able to see that's one thing that's been discussed of, you know, why some attorneys are against virtual trials because of the connecting with the jurors. But in this little box here, you can see my hands, you can see my eyes, you can see my body language, you can see if I'm writing down notes. You can't get better engagement and reading somebody 12, 12 inches. You can't get this in an actual courtroom. So just wanted to provide that feedback of the jurors are appreciating that they're able to see the evidence so closely. Yeah, that's interesting. I have heard a lot about the concern that you can't read body language. You can't make a personal connection when you're not in person and all of that kind of stuff. So it's great to hear that there are actually really good advantages. Parting thought that I have is a art, a Cornell Law Review article called, uh, and it was, and it predates COVID, but I think the advice is very good. Um, it's called "What Juries Really Think: Practical Guidance for Trial Lawyers" by Amy St. Eve and Gretchen Scavo. Um, I believe one is a federal judge. I, I don't know which one is which, and one is a partner at a big firm. But in a study of jurors, um, what they said what they liked the most was good organization, preparation, efficiency and delivery and style of presentation. And what they disliked the most was were the same two things, bad delivery, um, bad style of presentation, uh, bad organization, preparation, efficiency. Attorneys need to be working with their technology. They need to be working with their trial techs. They need to be putting more study into this area in the same way that they're in a mirror in their hotel room before they go out and do their opening statement. Um, their trial tech needs to be in a room with them somewhere um, uh, so that they can practice and do the things that they need to do so that they're going to look confident, credible, and present well in the courtroom. 
Sounds great. Shannon, I'm going to ask you for a link to that study that you just shared so that we can post it to the show notes so that everyone who's listening can read it for themselves. All right. So in a post-pandemic world, after you finally visited the family members and the friends that you've missed over the past year, where in the world would you like to go on vacation? I will start with you, Alicia. Well, I love to travel. My wife and I, we typically plan two international vacations a year. She works in the hospitality industry, so we get free hotel rooms. So it's just killing us that we can't travel uh, right now. So we've canceled Romania, Aruba, the Bahamas. Um, and so hopefully after we get the green light to start traveling internationally, um, you know, go back to Mexico. It's But until then, we'll just keep being safe. Indeed. How about you, Shannon? I know you've got a family in Ukraine. Well, they're with us right now. We were just a couple of, but pre-COVID, I was pretty close to moving to Africa for a month or two to work with a different tribunal. uh, I was going to take my whole family and go do safaris and that kind of thing. So that got canceled. We don't know if it's going to come back on on the agenda or not. Um, I'm hoping to get out to someplace tropical at some point. And um, uh, I have a nephew that's a football player that I'd like to see uh, 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 plays for Oklahoma State. And uh, I'd like to see him play uh, in the coming year. All right. Well, here's hoping. Yes. That's a wrap on another episode of May the Record Reflect. Thank you again to our guests, Shannon Bales and Alicia Aquino for bringing their knowledge of all things trial technology to the podcast and the NIDA community. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Marcy. Please be sure to click into the show notes for links and resources mentioned in today's episode. While there, you can sign up to receive notifications of new episodes in your email inbox. You can also find us and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Overcast. As you may know, 2021 marks a significant year for us here at NIDA. It's our 50th year of teaching the art of advocacy to trial lawyers here and abroad. We are indebted to all of the faculty members, trustees, and leadership, authors, staffers, and program attendees over the decades who have shared in our mission and made NIDA what it is today. Please visit us at nita.org as we embark on our 50th year. May the Record Reflect is a NIDA Studio 71 production. Nita, we are advocacy enhanced, mentorship reimagined. Welcome to the community.